0: Acts chapter 19, Paul in Ephesus. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed, They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. This is the word of the Lord. Hello and good morning
1: Southside, it's great to see you and great to be able to share with you this morning. It is a day of uh, conclusions in one way. Uh, So this morning we finish off our series through Acts for this year. Last year we did Acts one to seven. This year we've done eight to 20. We're in chapters nine and 20 today. Uh, And so today we're going to be looking at, it's pretty much the stuff that Paul does in a town called Ephesus. That's where we're going to be focused on. He goes some other places, but mainly Ephesus. Uh, Let's pray together before we start looking at God's word. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us good things. Thank you for your grace upon us. Thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did and has done and continues to do. And Lord, we uh, pray that now you would speak to us through your word. Pray that, Lord, you would please arrest us by it. I pray that you would inspire us. Pray that you would encourage and build us up by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I talked about it being a day of conclusions. And so we do have a farewell today. Uh, We will be here next week, but this is my last time preaching with you this morning. And so it's kind of concluding that. I've finished four years of Bible college. I've been to two different churches, had a different experience there. I got my exit certificate this week from college. I didn't know I needed a certificate to get out of there, but apparently I did, and I got it. And I'm heading off to be a minister, uh, which is really exciting. We're we're really excited about that. but I'm not sure what you imagine a minister to be thinking, what goes on in our minds and our hearts as we set off, uh, whether I have this ironclad faith and a, you know, a bulletproof zeal to preach the gospel. Uh, and I, I do, I've really, uh, like I really, like. I appreciate what college and God and you and everyone's invested into me. But to be perfectly honest, there has been times throughout the whole journey, the whole process of learning and training, well, there's been times where I've been kind of haunted by what ifs. Now I don't mean I don't mean like ridiculous what ifs like what if a pack of dogs runs in here and steals my notes. <laughs> I mean I mean like deep dark what ifs. I mean like deep dark doubts. So so what if what if Christianity, what if following Jesus isn't isn't the big thing that I'm making it. What what if I've invested 4 years and it's not really it's not really worth it what if i've moved my family twice and you know jesus isn't who we think he is what what if it's a waste throughout throughout acts following jesus being a christian it's called the way and so what if the way is a waste that's that's my my deep dark fear i guess my what if and now i might be the only person in this room who has those deep dark doubts and if that's the case then you lot all need to be going to and not me (laughs) But I suspect we all have them from time to time. We all have an attack of the what ifs. You know, what what if God isn't real? You know, what if what if we are just kind of glorified animals? What if what if this whole Christian thing's kind of wrong or skewed? What if what if, you know, I'm just a sucker who's fallen for a con or a lie here? What what if? What if the way is a waste? And so God's not surprised by our doubts. God's not caught off guard by this question of what if the way is a waste. And in fact, this passage we're looking at today, it speaks directly to that. It's God's word to you and to me in response to those deep, dark doubts, those what ifs that we might have. In Acts 19 and 20, there's kind of two sides. There's two perspectives that we're to look at this from, two sides to this response to those what ifs. And so we're gonna look at one, and then we'll, we'll move and look at the other. Not literally, we'll just metaphorically shift and look at these two perspectives. And so keep your finger tucked into Acts 19 and 20. It's a big chunk of scripture. We're gonna be flicking through it a little bit, uh, but hopefully the PowerPoint will help you with that. And so the first perspective we're going to look at is to see that this way, it's logical and reasonable. It's, it's defensible. Now let me explain what I mean. The book of acts is written by a bloke named luke he's writing to theophilus and he's trying to he's trying to tell theophilus about the way and he wants to explain very clearly to theophilus what it is but he also wants to tell, tell theophilus what it's not he's going to explain to theophilus what it's not and so luke records paul going to ephesus we read there that he turns up in town he finds some uh disciples who become followers of jesus and he enters the synagogue that's what Paul always does he goes straight to the synagogue this is what it says Acts 19 verse 8 Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God it's interesting he gets to stay there for three months earlier in Acts he only lasted two weeks in a synagogue before they booted him out but he's there for three months verse 9 but some of them became obstinate they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way so Paul left them He took the disciples with him and he did discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. The thing we're meant to see, Luke wants to see that uh, Paul's a public figure in Ephesus. Already he goes to the synagogue, they publicly say this way is no good. He's making waves in a negative sense there, but then Paul goes to the, this lecture hall of Tyrannus. We're not sure, it's, it's the word that we use for school. It's kind of a school. We're not sure if it was an organized kind of philosophy school and Paul just kind of put himself in there and he argues back and forth, or whether it was an empty space that he rented. But either way, Paul's there. Everyone knows where Paul is. He talks about it daily. Ephesus is a big place. It's it's going to become the capital of Asia in in a little while. It's got one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world there. It's a big deal place. And everyone knows where Paul is, and he's talking and arguing about the way. It says that he's dialoguing, actually. So it's like, come in and throw stones at the way and let me answer them. That's almost what Paul's saying. And it says all of the Jews and all of the Greeks, not just in the town of Ephesus itself, but in the whole province, He's about the word of the Lord. Luke wants Theophilus to know there's an openness about this way. It's, it's a historically verifiable faith. Jesus came. He was an actual man. And he rose from the dead. It's a, it's a logical, reasonable force to be reckoned with. He's saying, Theophilus, this isn't a club in someone's backyard. This isn't a cult that they want to keep secret. This is a big deal. This is something that's open. And so Luke says, first of all, it's not a club. It's not a cult. It's something that's open for everyone to come and talk about and ask questions of. The implications of this get out. And Demetrius, he's a metal worker. Uh, he, he knows that he can't argue against Paul, I guess. And he, uh, he, he figures out, or maybe Paul tells him, so Artemis, that's the, the, the seventh one of the world, is this temple a temple to Artemis. It's a big It's a big temple. It's a big thing in the ancient world. Uh, and so, Demetrius, I guess, figures that if Paul's saying there's one God, that means Artemis, which our city is famous for, isn't one. It'd be like someone saying, you know, the Brisbane River that Brisbane's famous for is dirty and you can't swim in it and it's no good. No, wait, that's true. Uh, no, um, so he's saying that Ephesus, uh, the temple of Artemis, it's nothing. And so, Uh, Demetrius though figures more than that because he makes little souvenir temples. And if Paul says there's no power in this Artemis, then there's no demand for the little souvenirs and Demetrius the metal worker, he's gonna be out of pocket. And so this is why he, he brings it up. He can't argue against it, so Demetrius gets emotional. So what does he do? He stirs up a riot in Ephesus. Gets together a whole group of people, they start cheering for Artemis They go to the town square, kind of. Some people don't even know why they're there, but they're just shouting. It kind of gets out of hand. And the town clerk, he stands up. He's a man who's got power in the town. And so he stands up in front of them all, and he says, what on earth are you lot doing? You lot need to settle down. You don't even have anything to complain about. Verse 40, this is what it says. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After, this, after he'd said this, he dismissed the assembly. Basically what's going on is the town clerk says, Demetrius, if you have something about the way, you need to go to court about it. You know, not riot about it like this, do it logically. And I guess Demetrius knows he probably doesn't have a case. And he's saying the Romans who were in charge at the time, if they find out about this riot, they're gonna come here and they're going to bring peace. And they bring the peace the way the Romans do. And that's, that's, not, that's not a peaceful way of going about it. He's actually saying, Demetrius, if you want to continue with this, the Romans will come along, they'll quiet us down, and they'll sack that temple of Artemis. You're working against yourself here. And, and I, I don't think the clerk was a Christian. I think they would have torn him apart if he was a Christian. And so he's, he, he says, this, this way, it, it's not trying to do anything. It's not trying to take over. It's not, a, it's not politically driven. They're not trying to take over Ephesus. It's, it's not a coup. And so uh, saying, Luke is saying to Theophilus, remember it's not a club, it's not a cult, and this isn't a political coup trying to take over. It's, it's a faith. And the third thing that he says uh, in, in chapter 20, we didn't read this part, but Paul, after a couple of years, he leaves Ephesus and he calls together the elders of the church And there's this really, there's this heart-wrenching farewell. He says, this is the last time you're going to see me. You know, there's no Skype, there's no phones, there's no Facebook. So Paul's leaving the elders and they're sad, there's weeping. And since it's the last time that Paul's going to talk to them, he says the things that he thinks are important. And so one of the things that he says, one of the things that is vital for these Ephesian elders to know is that throughout Paul's time there, he has been genuine. He, He hasn't ripped them off. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. This is part of that farewell speech. He says, You know, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What Paul's saying is, there's no small print here. Remember, there's no small print. In fact, I worked to pave my way. I think that he probably made tents in the morning and then spoke in the hall of Tirith in the afternoon. And he's saying, this way is not, it's not a con. This wasn't to build me up. It's about giving and not taking. In fact, he's saying, you lot need to not build yourselves up, you need to give to the weak. And so what he's saying, Luke is making sure the office knows it's not a club, it's not a cult, it's not a coup, and it's not a con. And so friends, there'll be temptations, both internal, those ones we spoke about, and external, where people will say that this way is, is small, it's, a, it's an interest group. You know, you're just here because your parents were, were Christians. If they'd been into monster trucks or lawn bowls, that's what you'd be doing with your Sundays. And this, this passage says, no, it's, it's not a small group like that. It's actually something, something that's big that the whole world has to wrestle with. And people will say, it's just politically driven. You, you Christians just want to kind of elbow your way into society, make yourselves comfortable and have power. And the Bible says, no, that's not what the chief cause of Christianity is. Other people will point to tele-evangelists and say, it's all just a con. It's just to make those people rich. And we're to see here that 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 cuts against what it's fair enough those people might do that but it's it's in contradiction to what the Bible says it's not supported by it and so that friends this passage calls us to come back and see the sense of the way it's a reminder that it's about a man who claimed to be God who came back from the dead who was which was witnessed by a substantial amount of people and is recorded very carefully you have to do something with that the only way you can not is to be emotional like Demetrius and say, I'm not listening. And so the, the way, it's a legitimate, logical force for the world to be reckoned with. And it's a force for you and me to reckon with as well. If, you, if you're a Christian, you have very likely reckoned with it. You've, you've decided that this way is the most logical thing to do with those facts about Jesus. His passage points us back to that decision. and says, remember, the way is not a waste. It's it's a logical, defensible, public faith. And so that's the first way, that's the first thing that we're to see from this. The second perspective from Acts 19 and 20 is that the way is actually compelling. It's logical, but it's also compelling. Uh, this, This second response to what if the way is a waste is that it's compelling. And we see that throughout here, people are compelled. In this town of Ephesus, people are compelled toward it. We read that before, uh, you know, we read that people burnt some books. And so these people, they were sorcerers, they were witches, and they figured out that this Jesus, he is way more powerful and we need to align ourselves with him. And so it says two things about this. They come with their books to be burnt, they open them up. And so on one hand, part of, the, part of being a witch back then was to keep your spells secret and so they come along and they open them up and it's like they're breaking the power. They're saying this has nothing compared to Jesus. But more than that, they burn them. They burn them publicly. They say that, uh, it says that uh, they're worth 50,000 drachma, which a drachma is about a day's wage. And so 50,000 days wages depends on what you are making a day, but that's a lot of money either way. Up like smoke, just, just gone. They burn it. And so these people are compelled to make a really costly sacrifice for Jesus. It's another part in, in chapter 20, uh, verse 7 to 12. Uh, Paul leaves Ephesus and he goes up to Troas. It's another place. And he's got one night there, one night only. And what did he decide to do with that one night? He's going to preach the whole night because he wants these people to know about Jesus. He wants to build them up in their faith. And there's a young bloke named Eutychus. He goes to sleep in a windowsill on the third story and uh, falls out to his death Uh, quite a matter of fact Paul goes down, prays for him he's raised to life, Paul breaks bread and does Paul say, you know what I guess if people are falling out of windows we need to wrap it up, no he doesn't he says we need to keep going and he keeps going until dawn and so these people are compelled I don't know when the last time you pulled an all nighter was we sit up late for different reasons have have you ever thought I need to speak all night about something have you ever thought I need, I need to sit up and listen to this one person about something before? I, I, I don't think we do that. These people are certainly shown to be compelled. And so what is compelling these people toward this? In chapter 19, verse 17, it talks about when the people of Ephesus are seeing these big things happening there, uh, something happens. Fear falls on them. They get, they kind of, they, they kind of are scared of Jesus in one way. They at least are reverent before him. And this is what it says. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. And literally what that says, it says the name of the Lord Jesus was enlarged. It was made big. In the Old Testament, uh, you know, there's there's a word for glory. We kind of think of glory as a shiny thing. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is, it's actually something that's heavy. It's weighty. And so what we see here in Ephesus, the name of the Lord Jesus was made heavy it's it's weighty i don't know if you've ever been in a tinny in a little boat and someone stands up over one side you know and they tip it the weight the gravity shifts toward them you're kind of compelled toward them and that's what's happening that's what's happening here with jesus in ephesus uh, if you've seen the new Jungle Book movie, uh, if you've seen the old cartoon, it's exactly the same, so don't bother. The one big difference is, though, is the character of King Louie. I don't know if you remember King Louie. He's an orangutan, and he really wants Mowgli, the man-cub, to tell him how to make fire. In the old cartoon, King Louie's kind of like this, I don't know, he's kind of suave, he's a con man. He's trying to con it out of Mowgli. In the new one, though, King Louie is this massive orangutan who is kind of just... Obese and nasty, and voiced by Christopher Walken, he's kind of scary because it scares it out of Mowgli. And so you know, he's big and it's dark. He kind of he gets a monkey caught under his armpit. He's kind of this tragic king. He's a disgusting king. He has monkeys bring him food, but he can't. He can't. Mowgli tries to get away. He breaks down the temple and falls on him and kills him. I'm sorry if that spoils it, but King louis had it coming. And so I think it's a really good picture, though, of what it's like for us to be compelled toward ourselves. King Louis, he does get the power. You know, we might want the world to revolve around us. King Louis gets that, and he's this tragic, disgusting king. It's almost as if it doesn't fit him. He's not big enough to be that king. It's, it's ill-fitting of him. And it's the same for us. We, we need something bigger than us. We need that gravity to shift towards someone who can hold that kingship in our life. And so the, the name of Jesus becomes weighty and large, and that's what these people are compelled toward. Now, does that mean that Jesus, if we're in Jesus' kingdom, if we're following him, we become nothing? All of the weight shifts toward him? Well, no, you don't just become a worker ant. The personal is important. We read, we read at the very beginning of chapter 19 that people are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's this individual indwelling. And so Holy Spirit is given to individual people. People are called by name in the Bible. There is a, there's an importance in the personal. And yet at the same time, this call is to a meaningful, it's a self-denial. Jesus gave up his life to pay for the sins of people. And so we, too, are called to follow him who trusts in him. We're called to spend, not save. We're called to die for this cause, to sacrifice, because it's something so worthy that it overshadows our very life. It's a dependence on God. It's a giving to God. And we, we see Paul says that in our key verse that Phil read out, verse 24 in chapter 20. Paul sums this up really well. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to be, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And so in that way we see that Paul is compelled, even though it costs his life. He says, he actually says, the spirit compels me. He's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to go to Rome. He knows he's actually going to die because of this. But he doesn't do it, he does it willingly. Because he knows that this is a worthwhile thing to be compelled toward. And the Ephesian elders who he speaks to, we see that they too are affected by that. In Acts 20 verse 36, this is what he says. When, when Paul had said this, knelt down with all of them and prayed. They wept, I said it was emotional, as they embraced him and kissed him. That's not a, that was normal then. What grieved them most was his statement that they'd never see his face again. And there's a little sentence here. They, then they accompany him down to the ship. It sounds like they just walked down there and waved their hankies at him as he sailed off. The word accompanied though, it actually means sent. They, sent. they actively sent him off. And so even the, the Ephesian elders go, yeah, we, we love our friend Paul. He we, we taught us, he brought us to Christ. But we realise that that too is worth giving up. Paul knows he needs to give up his life. The Ephesian elders know they need to give up the things that make us comfortable, our friends. There is, there is a sacrificing. All of this is a shifting a gravity, to, a shifting gravity toward something bigger than them, Jesus. And so this is, what our, this is what satisfies our soul when we ask that question, is the way a waste? They say no, because my own preservation, my own kingdom, that's actually the greatest waste. It, it's not enough. It's not worthy. It's not fitting of me. Clinging tightly to that, that's the greatest waste. You and me, we need something bigger than us. We need something as grand as Jesus Christ. And so I have one thing for us to do out of this from after looking at those two perspectives. Now, one thing is for us to preach. And I don't mean I don't mean as a church preach. I do mean individually as a preacher. And you might go, I don't preach, I don't get up in front of people and preach. And that's not exactly what I mean. I mean that we are all called then. To preach this good news to ourselves you know we talk about reading the bible uh, we talk about praying and having that quiet time but i'm saying that that also needs to be a preaching time for us a time where we do tell ourselves that this is compelling this is good and ask ourselves well are you are you going to follow are you going to submit are you going to afresh today follow jesus are you going to sacrifice You know, uh, when you you read those passages that tell how how true Christianity is, the way is, do you tell yourself, this is true? Are are you going to believe it? When we read it, it's compelling. You know, uh, who is this Jesus that even the wind and the waves obey him? Do you say, well, I I need to be compelled toward him? Do we we preach that? Do we preach that to each other even? And when I say preach, I mean that carefully. I don't mean preach to each other. I just mean, do we speak that life of the gospel to each other? Do we see that as their, our job to do? When you go to church, when you go to growth group, when you go to uh, catch up, do you pray beforehand that I'll be able to speak life, this, this life to each other? And I think even if, you, if you're not a Christian, I think you still need to preach this. And what I mean is, otherwise you're, not, you're like Demetrius. You're just emotional and you say, I don't want to hear it. I, I just want to riot against it. Whereas if you preach it and go, what is this actually saying to me, and weigh it up objectively, that, that, that's what needs to happen from this. And then we all can preach to, to the world in that way, have that dialogue like Paul did, to be bold and to be secure. You know, to, to be able to say to people, this is, this is the truth of the gospel, someone asks you a question you don't know the, 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 the answer to, you can say, I'll get back to you on that. You know, christianity Christian has gone 2,000 years without you having a good answer. It can wait another week. And so remember, you've you, you got a legitimate case as a Christian. You have something intelligible to be able to say about life. And so preach that. And so just to finish, uh, Southside is going to change soon. You know, we're we're going to move from here going to head over to just by a very virtual location. Southside's going to change. And that's a really good thing. Change is a good thing. Uh, You know, Jesus is changing his people all of the time. It's also a really good time to kind of imagine where you could be. Imagine a church and imagine what that would be. It's kind of changing the what-ifs from from deep and dark to hopeful. You know, who, who could we be? It allows us to set our mind on something, to pray for something, to hope for something. Uh, in fact you know in revelation jesus gives a summary of the church in ephesus after all of this and so they could have looked forward it's kind of giving them something to look forward to so they can change and work towards something different keep going with the things that he says are good and so i guess Im- imagine south side imagine a church that does preach to itself preach to each other preach to the world Imagine, imagine, imagine a church that preaches to the world and a city that hears that the gravity shifts toward Jesus Christ, that his, his name would be enlarged, that even if people don't acknowledge or uh, bow down to him, they at least go, well, that's a really logical case they've got going there. I need to be emotional if I'm going to deny that. And so what if we would see lots of people, people we don't know, people we wouldn't expect come to church with us and be blessed blessed by hearing about this security that jesus gives blessed by giving uh, saying telling people blessed by people compelled by christ blessed by people seeing that jesus christ is superior in everything and so friends the way is not a waste that's my parting word to you Uh, and i'd love to pray for us now and pray for that for each of us that we would see that the way is not a waste let's pray Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your work that you did in history, that you came as a man, died and rose again, and now sit at the right hand of God the Father. Lord, we thank you that that is compelling, that is big, that you are doing work in in our world, that you are changing lives, and that you are shifting everything toward yourself. Lord, I pray that we would know that, I pray, Lord, that we would be compelled toward that, that you would grip our hearts, that we would indeed give up our lives for that. And we pray this in your name. Amen.